Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. For all of the other epistles, this is the first one he wrote. And he wrote it because he was aghast at what had just happened. In this age of marketing, impression management and wanting to maintain popularity by delivering what people want, the idea of telling people what they want to hear is fairly central to business. But telling people what tickles their ears is often at the expense of truth. This is not a modern phenomena. In the New Testament of the Bible, the Apostle Paul is doing battle with those who would set aside truth for a message that suited their own purposes. Stay tuned as Dr. Corbett continues in the book of Galatians to explore a different gospel. All right, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to speak to us through his word as we now look at this because for me, what I'm doing now is pastoring. And I say that because for some people, they may not appreciate that when I'm preaching, I'm not just trying to fill in this spot in the service. I'm not just trying to give you information. I actually want you to leave here better equipped to do life and better equipped to walk with Christ. So that's what I want to do. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help me to be your instrument today. I pray, Father, for every young person here, every young man, every young woman, that you would speak to them and help them to hear your voice. But Lord, for others, I pray for everyone here that as I speak, it will be your word they hear. And I need your help to do that, Lord. So I pray, help me to do that. Father, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. This series through Galatians is called Freedom in Christ. And the reason for that is that is an expression Paul uses in this epistle. And it's also the topic of free freedom occurs more perverse in this, not perverse, per-verse. <laughs> Gee, our pastor was perverse this morning. No, 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 no. In Paul's epistle to the Galatians than anything else he wrote in any other New Testament work. And so there, there is a point here that clearly I hope we get because it's not, Paul is, is referencing freedom from different things including fear, including negative emotions, including our past, including hurts and offences, including things that would hold you back from coming into Christ's presence and enjoying everything he has. And he says that to the Galatians. And so as we go through this, I want you to understand that he is going to be Fatherly. Now, this epistle was written sometime around about AD 45. This is really early on in the piece because Christ was crucified somewhere between 30 and 33, AD 30, 33. And then after that, the church just exploded in growth. And then around about late 30s, early 40s, in Acts chapter 13, Paul, who's now relocated to his home church, which became his home church, he was planted into that church. It's the church at Antioch. That from there, Paul and Barnabas set out to plant churches. 
Not just to preach, not to hold meetings, but to plant churches because the connection between turning to Christ and being a part of a church is indispensably linked. You can't be a Christian and say, I want nothing to do with church. Because when you become a Christian, you are in Christ. Christ is the head and his church is his body. And so to be set free from the things that would hold a person back includes being set free from those obstacles that would keep you from doing that. The fear of control, the fear of past hurts. Paul says, when you come to Christ, you are set free. You are set free from those things. And so in order to do this, in order to speak like a father and this his epistle to the Galatians would, as we'll see in a moment, would, would basically become his template for all of the other epistles. This is the first one he wrote. And he wrote it because he was aghast at what had just happened. We read in Acts chapter 13 that Paul and Barnabas were sent out to plant churches and the first place they went to was Cyprus, which is where Barnabas was from. And Barnabas was his nickname. His actual name was Joseph. And so in going to Cyprus, Paul and Barnabas were going to where Barnabas wanted this gospel to go to his people, the Cyprians. He wanted them to know about this. And then from there, they went around to, as we'll see in Acts chapter 14, they went into the southern region of Galatia. And some extraordinary things happened. So we'll see that in a moment. But what happened was, in Antioch, it seems like where Paul had come from, that others had heard that they were going to share this radical, revolutionary message that you didn't have to do all these religious things. You didn't have to keep the rituals, the laws, the ceremonies, the sacrifices, even for men to be circumcised, which was the entrance into Judaism for someone who was not born a Jew. And Paul is preaching this message that says you don't have to do any of that. You just have to turn to Christ and receive the forgiveness that he offers freely. And that word freely is the word grace. And there were people that said, no, that can't be right. God surely can't be. It can't be that easy to become a Christian. You should become a Jew first. And so after Paul and Barnabas had gone through these towns in Galatia, then along comes a group of people called Judaizers. They wanted to make Christians, these Christians, these Gentile Christians, who are not born Jews, make them more Jewish in order to become a real Christian. And when Paul hears about this, he was ticked. He was so angry because what it meant was that people to do that, to accept that, would be to accept what he calls a different gospel, another gospel. And, to, and this another gospel would mean that they would be turning their backs on Christ and ignoring the free gift that he offers. And that still stands today. You don't have to be religious to get God's approval. You don't have to do all these religious ceremonies to get God's approval. I, as a pastor, don't have to wear special sacred vestments in order to have the authority and power of God, as was taught in the Middle Ages. It's just not true. The power of God, the presence of God right now can meet you right now where you're at. Right now, literally right now. No matter what your need, 
I encourage you to pray a prayer that God himself will hear. God, I need an answer. I need, I need whatever it is. Just tell him. Because right now I'm telling you a word from God. One word from God right now can change the rest of your life. I was in a meeting in Sydney with uh, other pastors where I was with David Cartledge and David Cartledge was encouraging us to plant churches. At that point, I was the state church planting director for Tasmania. And, and I thought, man, this is an impossible task. And at the end of that meeting, David Cartledge, who's now gone to be with the Lord, he said to me something that he would have no idea what he'd said. But he said to me, Andrew, if anyone can do it, you can. Now, he might, he might tell everyone that. I don't know. But when he said it to me, it gave me a confidence that I didn't have. And I thought, I'm hearing the voice of God. With God, this can be done. Because I knew, man, I didn't have the ability or the confidence or anything in myself. But when he spoke that one word that came from God, it kept me going that year, which was a really tough year for me back then. So I appreciated that. So as we look at what Paul has to say now, I need you to understand that when in, in the ancient world, when you wrote an epistle, which is a letter, it had a structure to it. You know, dear such and such, um, hope you are doing well. Missed the times we had together. Hope you are really blessed and well in health. Yours truly, blah, blah. That's how it goes. Mm, not Paul. This is called a different gospel, and you'll see why we're taking it straight out of the text. And as I pointed out, this was his first epistle. It was not the normal structure, but this would serve as his template for everything else he wrote. And so it's worth bearing witness to this. This is the other strange thing. This is Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Now you can't, you know, all the other all the other church epistles are to a church in a city, a church in a very specific location. Galatia was huge. It wasn't a city, it was a province, what we might call a state. And so here we have Paul writing not just to one church, but to maybe a dozen or so or more churches. And this so this epistle was going over a scattered region, and chances are some of those churches Paul hadn't started yet, Paul and Barnabas hadn't started, but they were, they, they'd sprung up as a result perhaps of the churches they had planted. And so now he's writing this epistle, and there will be people reading this. He's aware of it. People reading this that they'd never met him. They didn't know him. So this is, this is super important to understand because Paul is saying that Christ had called him to this region and so this is the message, this is the word of the Lord. So it starts off, you might recall the churches of Galatia in verse 2. It says, this is who he's writing to. And this is one of the first questions we ask, and we saw this. Whenever we read anything in the Bible, we have to ask this question. Who is this written to? Because I've heard some people say, this is written to us, or, or as in any book of the Bible. Uh, and I understand when people say that, because it can feel like it when you read it. That's the power of God's word. It can feel like it is God's word to you. I get that. But this is actually written 
to these people in Galatia. These, not even, it's to the churches, the communities of believers in Galatia. That, that's, it's probably more important than we realise. I mentioned this epistle doesn't follow the niceties of the structure of the day. And Paul broke with convention. He doesn't, hello, how are you? Hope things are going well. He says, right. And off he goes. He's got some things to say. And man, it's not, I mean, he obviously didn't go to the how to win friends and influence people school. He's like, you know, if someone had been looking over his shoulder going, you can't say that. Oh, too bad, I've already said it. Is there anyone here like that? It seems that Paul felt this is so important. This issue is so important. We have to deal with it. We have to. Here's a word. Forgive me. I don't often swear. And I especially don't swear from the pulpit. In fact, I don't swear at all. But forgive me for what I'm about to say. Paul thought this problem had to be. Here's the word. Confronted. Forgive me, but someone's got to say it. Paul felt that it was more important that someone tell these people the truth. Now, I've got to tell you, Kim has a little bit of this spirit in her because she saw the latest Toyota ad where the lady gets in the car looking like an Oompa Loompa, all yellow from the fake tan she's just had, and her friend sees her coming and puts a blanket over the seat that she, this, her friend's about to sit in, and... Her friends, if you've seen the ad, says, so, do you like it? Oh, I love it. <laughs> and Kim says, she lied. Someone should tell her the truth. That looks terrible. So after morning, grab your tea and coffee. Just keep a, keep a distance from Kim. And, you know, and, anyway, Paul thought, the act of love demands that I tell these Galatians the truth. The truth. And he probably said it in a way that it sounded as if he really loved them. He really cared. We pick it up in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel what was the gospel that paul and barnabas preached when they arrived in galatia we don't have to wonder we can actually read it in acts chapter 13 but what we do know is that they preached the very thing he's going to talk to them about in this epistle and that is the gospel of freedom through christ now we might not understand you know what this means freedom it's not freedom to do whatever you want. It's freedom from those things that keep you from doing what you should. That's the freedom Paul's talking about. So we pick it up in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, where it says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that man is Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed 
by the law of Moses. So what we have here is people who believe that if they kept the Jewish laws, they would be set free. (laughs) I'm hearing an echo. (laughs) And what... We, we read on in verse, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 14 and verse 1. They go to another part of Galatia. This time it's called Iconium. And it says this. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So here's the makeup of the church. Jews and Greeks. They spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believe. Next verse. But the unbelieving Jews, not irreligious, religious Jews. This is important to note because you might think, well, what does God care? As long as you're religious, surely. No. God's not interested in people being religious. Religion is man's way of trying to reach God. Christianity is God's only way for man to reach him, and it's God coming to reach us, Christianity, through Christ. So what we have here is unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. This is an amazing figure of speech. How did they do this? How did they poison their minds against the brothers, that is Paul and Barnabas? How did they do this? With lies. God can't accept you unless you do this, do that, do this, keep this. Make sure you don't do that. Do this, do that. Then maybe, maybe, if you work hard enough, God will accept you. That's just not true. To highlight this, let me point back to the cross. We've talked a lot about the cross. We've sung about the cross this morning, and so we should. When Jesus was on the cross, it says there were two thieves who were also being crucified on a cross either side of him. One of them, in fact, they both started out mocking him. You know the story. And then eventually something happened to one of them when he realised, what am I doing? And he turned to his colleague, his co-conspirator, who has also been crucified, and said, this man's done nothing. We, we, can't, we can't talk about him like this. This is not right. And then that, that thief, that criminal, turns to Jesus. Remember what he says? Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to that man who, without even using the magic words, without even knowing what to say, but he was really saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's really what he was saying. And that should help you if you think, oh, did I get the words right? God sees your heart. Please know this. And Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, this day you will be with me in paradise. Hmm. What did that man do? Did he join a church? (laughs) No. Did he get baptised? No. 
Did he partake of Holy Communion? No. Did he sing the songs during the worship time? Because that is the right thing to do, by the way. No. And God still accepted him because he turned to Jesus and asked Jesus to forgive him. I heard someone describe it as, you know, here's all the things you've been doing on your phone. And some of these things are embarrassing. And when God sees it, he can see what your heart's really like. And then Beckett Cook actually used an example because he says, this is how it felt for me. He took up a a clear glass of water and he said, this is Jesus, pure, without sin, nothing to hide from God. And he said, but what happens is when you come to Christ, you hide behind him. And that water somehow washes everything clean that's on your slate. And now when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. If you're in Christ, he sees Christ. And you're in and you're accepted and you're loved by him. And that should take a ton of weight off someone's shoulders right here and now. Acts chapter 14, verse 3, the next verse says this. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace. Grace. Not what you do, not being religious, but turning to him and saying, forgive me, Father. Because when you begin to experience God's grace, you realize how undeserving you are. I remember reading about the Korean revival where there were Christians there who were praying and they said, God's got to do something in our nation. They'd just gone through the Civil War and the North had been divided into the South and it was just a terrible time. And Christians were there and they said, We've got to, we, we need God where our country is bankrupt and we're destitute. We're morally bankrupt. We need God where our country is 90-something percent Buddhist. We need the favour of God. We've got to pray for our nation. And they said, we're going to have a prayer meeting each night or so. And on it went. And at the end of the, the week of prayer, nothing much had happened. So the report goes. And they're about to close, rather disappointed. They were hoping for God to turn up somehow and do something in someone, but nothing happened. And as they're about to close, someone said, excuse me, I just, I just got to get something off my chest. And the, the leader of the prayer man, he said, yeah, well, what is it? I've, I'm harboring unforgiveness toward, and there was another person, there was a lady and another lady over there. I, she did something to me and I was offended and this happened and, I just want to confess to you, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then another person stood up and said, well, I've got a... And on it went. On it went as people confessed things to God that they'd been harboring in their heart. And if you know anything about South Korea, you know that after that, God began to move very dramatically. And today, three of the world's largest churches are in one city, Seoul, South Korea. I think the smallest of the three has 700,000 members. What happens when people experience the grace of God? You don't get cocky and arrogant. You actually feel almost exactly opposite. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. That's what God's grace does in your heart. And they spoke it boldly. 
And the Bible says here, granting God was granting signs and miraculous wonders to be done by their hands. So this is how the churches of Galatia experienced Paul's preaching. Miraculous signs and wonders. Little wonder then that when someone else comes along after Paul and Barnabas and says, no, 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 you still got to become a Jew. Man, you've got to be circumcised. Women, you've got to wear head coverings and you've got to do all these rituals and you've got to take your footwear off in the kitchen and you've got to do all this stuff. Little wonder then, Paul was astonished after what they had seen, what they had heard, that they were now, his words, deserting Christ. And this is what we need to understand. Paul's not saying, hey, come on, you saw signs and wonders. You know what we told you is true. God confirmed it with miraculous signs. He's not saying that to them. He's actually saying that what we preach to you is because it was the truth. The truth. It was based on verifiable historical evidence. It's true. So, yes, it's true that we as Christians believe you need to have faith in God, but it's not blind faith. It's not a faith because there's no evidence. It's actually the exact opposite. It's faith in the evidence that Jesus was who he claimed to be. He did die on the cross. He did rise again three Jewish days later. He conquered sin and death. He ascended to the Father 10 days later, 40 days later, sorry. And he will, as we heard Rika share, he will return. That's the truth. And so we read in Acts chapter 13 and verse 28 and 29, Paul telling the Galatians this when he was there, and though they found in him, Jesus, no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, that is the cross, and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Paul told them that. He told them, you can go and verify this. There's 500 people who saw him at one time, and they're in Jerusalem. You can go there. You can get there in a few days' walk, and you can verify this, and maybe some of them did. And now they were believing what he says in verse 6, a different gospel. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. No wonder he was so astounded. But Paul says, sorry, did I say different gospel? (laughs) That there is another one? No, 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 no. But There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of truth. Another gospel, a different gospel, Paul says, no, no, no. There's only one gospel. There's only one message of truth. So the Galatians knew, they knew that Paul had exercised pretty dramatic supernatural power in raising the dead, healing the sick, opening blind eyes, doing some extraordinary things. At one point we read a bit later on in Paul's ministry that he was working to support his ministry. He took a handkerchief, he wiped the sweat off his brow as he was a leather worker and someone picked up that handkerchief and said, I wonder if this could heal the sick. And they put it on a sick person and it did. So the Galatians knew Paul was not your 
average, ordinary, everyday, itinerant speaker, this guy could heal the sick, raise the dead, open blind eyes. And even at one point we see on that missions trip, there was someone who publicly withstood him and he pointed his finger at him and said, may you be blind, and the guy couldn't see. So you don't mess with Paul. That's the point. You don't mess with Paul. So they would have taken his warnings about abandoning the gospel pretty seriously. And listen to what Paul says and hear the warning in this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. And there would have been a shiver go down their spine when they heard that. Because if the apostle is saying, you'll be accursed if you abandon the true gospel, their minds would have gone into overdrive in worry and fear about what that could mean. Have no worry or fear about what it means because it means you'll be damned for eternity. That's what it means. The word is anathema. And that right there, as we heard in Vanessa's story, would cause anyone to lose sleep. Who wants to be damned for eternity? I hope no one. Paul goes on and says, as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Anathema. Even in the Apostle Paul's day, there were some who preached a different gospel. Paul tells us this in Philippians. And they weren't necessarily doing it out of right motives either. And Paul was not one of those preachers who was simply preaching to tickle people's ears, simply telling them what they wanted to hear. He didn't just appeal to people's self-centeredness. In fact, quite the opposite. He just told them the truth. You may not have ever had someone tell you the truth, but the truth is, on your own, left to your own devices, you haven't got a hope in hell. Left to yourself, without God's help, his Grace, his mercy, it's your only hope. It's your only hope. And there are people trying to live life, telling God, don't tell me what to do. There are people trying to live their lives like that. And they are finding life is not working. But let me tell you, as a preacher, it's very, very tempting, very tempting to tell people what they want to hear especially in social media world that we now live in. You write a tweet or you do a Facebook post and people like it. Like I saw a great uh, Facebook meme, I think they're called, where, where a guy comes out for prayer and he comes out and, and the pastor says, how can I, like we do this morning, and, and he came out for prayer and, and the pastor said, how can I pray for? He said, my hearing. And so the guy just straight away just... Okay, he puts his hands on him, he gets a run up because he's a Pentecostal preacher. And he comes up to this guy and he's speaking in tongues and he's yelling at this guy, thinking, well, I need to yell, hearing. And he's yelling and he's commanding the demons of deafness to come out of this guy and he's doing everything. 30 minutes later, he stands back as the cheering crowds. That must have been an awesome, that must have been anointing. That must have been an anointed prayer because he was yelling. 
stands back. Don't laugh, Isaac. I might do it to you as an example. But anyway, he says to the guy in front of everybody, TV cameras on, can you hear me now? How's your hearing? How's your hearing? He said, I I don't know. It's Monday at 12 (laughs) o'clock. He had a hearing at 12 o'clock. There are some who, in the foyer, you'll have someone explain that to you. No, just let it soak. Let it soak. It is tempting for preachers to only tell people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And what people need to hear is the truth. But can I tell you, it's not just preachers who fall prey to this. We all fall prey to this because we get afraid of people and what they think and their opinions of us. And every Christian is under pressure to ignore Scripture or to twist Scripture in order to be approved. And we are living in that world now where there are Christians who are buckling and saying things like this. I know God's Word says this, but I feel that. Whatever. In order to disagree with God's Word. So I'm going to tell you, based on this section of Paul's epistle to the Galatians, I'm going to tell you now, it takes courage to be a Christian and to stand for the truth and to do it in a way that is loving and kind and merciful. And I hope that's how we do it. I hope. Paul says this in verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man? Clearly not, Paul. You have told the Galatians that if they keep going down that road, they will be accursed. Am I trying to seek the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ, he says. So here's the appeal that I want to give to you. Let us us make it our aim to always try to seek God and his approval without being subject to the fear of man. Proverbs 28 verse 1, the fear of man brings a snare to your life. It takes you into bondage. And Paul is going to tell these Corinthians, you need to be freed from that bondage. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Galatians Part 2 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, appealing to people's self-centeredness, tickling the ears of listeners, saw believers being drawn away from the truth of the gospel, which was freedom in Christ. Even today, it's tempting to listen to that which makes us comfortable. More from Dr. Corbett next week as we continue in Galatians. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. 